everyone, welcome back to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. I'm Jenna. And I'm Mark. Thank you all for tuning in for another episode. We really appreciate it. Jenna, we've got a very informative show today lined up, right? We're actually welcoming back uh, one of our former, former guests, Dr. Jessica Hines. She's one of the associate veterinarians here at Cincinnati Zoo. She's been on the show before, but welcome back and thanks for taking your time to meet with us again. Yeah, thank you guys for uh, having me back on and uh, I'm excited to talk to you guys about this topic and, and share some more with the world. So we are going to talk about a topic that isn't quite as fun or exciting. No, it's not exciting. It's, it's not exciting. It's tough. Yeah. Um, but Dr. Jess is going to teach both Mark and myself and hopefully all of you listeners so much about um, a disease that is unfortunately impacting elephants. And we wanted to get this episode out ahead of time before we hopefully receive elephants um, for our new elephant barn coming later this year or next year um, in 2024. So... We'll let you tell us all about EEHV. I can't pronounce it, so I'll let you tell us the long version of it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, EEHV is a topic that um, I'm sure anyone who follows zoos and uh, elephants in human care have probably come across. So EEHV stands for Elephant Endothelial Tropic Herpes Virus. And that sounds like a really big, long, scary word. Um, if you kind of break down the Latin for it, um, elephant, obviously it's specific to elephants. Endothelial tropic means endothelial is blood vessel. So it means of the blood vessel. Tropic means loving. So this is a virus that loves blood vessels. And it's a herpes virus that is um, prevalent in a lot of elephants. Now, all animals have some kind of herpes virus. Fish have herpes, birds have herpes, humans have herpes. When you hear of the, the common cold sore that you get when you get a little stressed out and you get a little blister on your lip, um, that's a herpes simplex virus. So humans ourselves, we have our own herpes virus. The nice thing is herpes don't tend to transfer between different species, so it kind of stays in there. So there's no danger to us from elephant herpes virus, and there's no danger to elephants from our herpes virus. Um, but that kind of gives you a sense of uh, where this virus name and uh, gives you a sense of what it's going to do in the body. Um, so EEHV is something you hear about, like I said, herpes virus, uh, you hear that old adage, um, herpes is forever. <laughs> so uh, it's something that a lot of elephants have, and all elephants have some sort of herpes. Um, we found that this uh, endothelial tropic herpes virus, there's a couple different types. Um, you'll hear about people talking about type 1 through 7, and it seems like Asian elephants and African elephants have have the different types in different distributions. So we hear about type one, four, and five happening in our Asian elephants, and type two, three, six, and seven happening in our African elephants. Now it's hard to tell, they kind of named the types. Um, they're not necessarily related to each other. It's just kind of the order of discovery. So don't get hung up in the fact that one has one or one has the other. But we know this happens in wild elephants. It happens in elephants in human care. Um, they actually looked at the genetics. These herpes viruses have been with these elephants and evolved with the elephants for at least a million years. So that's something that's way, way, way back when they've evolved with it. Um, but unfortunately, we're starting to realize in the care of elephants um, that we have found deaths from this virus. And when the virus becomes deadly in an elephant, we get what's known as hemorrhagic disease, or you'll hear us say EEHVHD. And that's when the virus starts attacking those blood vessels that it really, really loves. Um, 
And as you can imagine, we have blood vessels all over our body. And if we have damage to our blood vessels, there's a potential for damage in any part of our body. So you can have organ failure of your liver, of your heart, of your kidneys. You can have bleeding into your skin. And it's very, very hard to combat that kind of disease because you're not just giving one medication to help your liver. You're not just giving one medication to help your heart. You have to find a medication that's going to fix the blood vessels over your entire body. And that's really, really hard to do. So what we found is that when these elephants are starting to show signs of this hemorrhagic disease, by the time they get the damage to that blood vessel and they get that bleeding in their skin, in their tissues, they actually die very, very quickly from it. Um, you'll hear reports of as soon as an elephant starts showing what we call clinical signs or, or actually showing effects from that hemorrhagic disease, they can die in as little as 12 hours. So it's incredibly devastating. fast. Wow. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is a disease that's become very important to zoos to, to learn more about. Um, unfortunately, as soon as those elephants get the hemorrhagic disease, um, the mortality rate is up to 70%. So that means that, you know, up to three out of four elephants that are getting this disease are dying from it. And unfortunately, it seems to be affecting our baby elephants the most. So as you mentioned, Jenna, it's a it's a sub- slightly heavy episode because we're talking about illness and baby elephants and, and no one wants to see yeah. that. Not only are they one of the cutest things in the world, but after a 22 month gestation, like especially as people that care for them, I'm sure it's so hard to... It's so hard to lose any animal, but one is big and charismatic and smart and family oriented. And then again, you just waited so long for that baby to get there and then you're losing them really young. It just feels extra unfair. And you mentioned that it's not new. It's in the wild. It's in zoos. But you seem or at least it seems to me that we're hearing about it more often. Why do you think that is? Yeah, so it seems like in the past 20 years, we've really learned more about this disease. Unfortunately, because it's a disease that that affects blood vessels, um, in the wild, when you have an animal that dies of this disease, they decompose very quickly. And so I think one of the just simplest answers is that by the time an elephant in the wild dies of it, they're probably being predated upon by other animals. And it's just physically hard to find those signs that let us know that it's a virus that killed this animal and not something else. Mm. And so in human care, in the past 20, 30, 40 years, we've started to realize that some of these elephants, as we get these molecular diagnostics, we're able to do things with DNA, we're able to find viruses with microscopes. These diseases that we just physically couldn't find, we're starting to realize we're going back into our histories, into our tissues. You know, zoos have done a great job of every time an elephant or another animal dies, we tend to save a little bit of tissue, put it in a deep freezer, maybe one day we'll use that tissue for something. And we're starting to go back into those tissues and learn that some of these deaths that we thought were other diseases were actually this virus. So some of it's more about just our ability to diagnose it. Mm -hmm. Um, And now that we're learning how to diagnose it, we're learning how to catch it sooner and sooner. And that's been the real breakthrough is how do we learn about this disease in a way that we can prevent it before they're showing those clinical signs. Um, so like I mentioned, this is a, a baby elephant disease. Um, we found that the most common ages that affect that it affects is elephants one to eight years old. But we have had deaths in elephants as old as 13 years old. So that's a, a really long time to be mm-hmm. at a threat of this disease. 
interestingly, elephants less than a year old don't seem to be dying of uh, hemorrhagic disease or this herpes virus. And one of the theories behind that is because when they're born and kind of that initial transfer of antibodies from the mom, they have those antibodies for about one to two years. And it's, so it seems as if the antibodies that they get from their mom protect them in that first year or so. And so those animals, we have not seen deaths from uh, EEHV hemorrhagic disease. But as soon as those antibodies start to wane or start to kind of wear off, um, then they're vulnerable until they get their adult immune system. And they're of a similar lifespan to us. You know, we think of a child in their age as kind of like a child in our age. You know, that's that one to eight years old, preteen. Um, once it seems like once they're a teenager, they've built up enough antibodies, their immune system is strong enough that if they get exposed to the virus then, then they have a little bit more protection against it. But if they get the virus that very, very first time when they're young, old enough to not have their mom's antibodies, but young enough that they don't have their own antibodies, that's when it's they're very, very vulnerable. And uh, across uh, in a study across the past 40 years, it seems, it appears that um, of all of the elephants that have gotten this virus in that time stage, uh, one out of four have developed hemorrhagic disease, and that's where that 70% mortality comes into play. So it is actually the, the single biggest impact on Asian elephants and one of the biggest limiting factors for um, maintaining a population in human care. Uh, because we've had so many deaths, there have been around 40 deaths from, from this in Asian elephants. Um, African elephants, we do see deaths as well, just at a much lower rate. Hmm. And I did mention, I just kind of wanted to clear up if anyone's kind of confused on the mm -hmm. terminology. Like, we're hearing you mention the deaths from EEHV and the deaths from hemorrhagic disease. Mm -hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong, the EEHV is the cause and the hemorrhagic disease is the effect. Correct. Right? Okay. Yes. So a lot of elephants will have this EEHV, that's just the virus. And then when they get disease, that's the hemorrhagic disease. Okay. So all of these elephants who are adults who have um, herpes virus, they've gotten the virus and and you know, kind of dealt with it in their own way, it just hasn't become clinical. So kind of like, like the human um, herpes viruses, cold sores, that's what I would call clinical for herpes virus. Gotcha. Whereas you can kind of have a silent herpes virus where you'll shed it, but your body will never show that it's having any effects. But yes, if I, if I talk about disease, I'm talking about the hemorrhagic disease. Gotcha. And is that the only part of the virus that can cause death in these elephants? Or are there other things that can lead to them dying. Yeah, so um, it seems to be that the disease that comes from EEHV is that hemorrhagic disease. We have found in some uh, African elephants that they do have kind of like the cold sores in people, they will get skin nodules. And when we test those skin nodules, they have a high load of herpes virus. So it seems like the African elephants will get herpes virus, the same herpes uh, viruses. Um, but it will manifest and, and show itself as those skin nodules. However, they can also get hemorrhagic disease as well. Um, to my knowledge, there haven't been uh, clinical signs in Asian elephants besides just the hemorrhagic disease. Okay. Okay. So when, when keepers are caring for an animal that gets this, mm -hmm. what kind of symptoms would they see before? I know you say like 
by the time you're seeing symptoms, it's probably too late anyway, and that's part of the diagnostics is we want to get better at diagnosing this before it becomes an issue. But what would a keeper notice about their animal? Is it lethargic? Is it not eating? Is it, are you actually seeing any bleeding or anything like that? Yeah, so that's one of the things that's so challenging, especially with a baby elephant. You know, you imagine a kid, they're very uh, temperamental, and they sure. have ups, they have downs. <laughs> they get really excited, they play too hard, they get really sleepy. So some of those main clinical signs, so when they're farther along in the disease, you imagine if these blood vessels are injured, that's a it's a very non-specific sign. You just kind of don't feel well. So the the main signs that we see with our elephants early in those clinical signs are ADR, ain't doing right. So they're sleeping too much or they're not sleeping enough, they're lethargic, they're not eating as well as they normally do. One of the other kind of more specific signs is lameness. So when they have broken blood vessels in their joints and in their legs, they can cause their legs to feel uncomfortable and they'll start to limp on one leg or another. However, mm -hmm. you think about a baby elephant, they're running around, they're falling down, they're tripping over things. There are plenty of reasons for a baby elephant to become lame. And it's, it's very hard to tease apart, is this lameness because you tripped over a log yesterday or because you have this terrible disease. Mm -hmm. And now people are getting a lot more nervous and, and kind of pulling the trigger and starting viral treatments for these seemingly um, minor changes in their baby elephants. But we would much rather start treatment and then stop it and realize it wasn't the virus than get too far behind. Because like we mentioned, it's just hours before they can potentially mm -hmm. die. So you want to get as, as uh, on top of this as possible. So you mentioned treatments. What would be kind of a treatment plan if you did find an elephant with this? Yeah, so treatment plan is a lot of supportive care. We do have some antivirals that we'll use on our elephants. Um, anecdotally, they've been tested, but obviously there's not a rigorous scientific study to say that this antivirus uh, specifically helps for, for this virus. Because mm. imagine the way to do that is to get an elephant sick use the antivirus and see if they survive. No one's going to go through that kind of uh, a clinical study. Mm -hmm. So we use the antivirals. They don't seem to have a negative effect. And at best, they have a positive effect. So we have a couple different ones that we use. Some of them are oral. Some of them can be given rectally. And some of them can be given IV directly into the vein. Um, and which one we use depends on our clinical suspicion as well as how sick the animal is. And so we'll be giving those medications multiple times a day to make sure that we're getting the highest levels in their blood as possible. But then we also want to give supportive care. So if those blood vessels are bro broken, they're leaking everywhere. They're leaking all of those important nutrients and blood that you need to keep your body going. So a lot of our other supportive medications have to do with pain control because they're going to have swelling and discomfort in a lot of different body parts, as well as that vascular support. So they, we want them to have fluids. We're potentially giving plasma transfusions. Transfusions. We're giving blood transfusions. transfusions. Um, we're trying to replace all of those really important things that are held within the vasculature system so that they can still keep their heart running, keep their liver running, keep their kidney running while those antivirals are doing what they need to do. And sometimes we're giving antibiotics because now that the body is vulnerable, it has all of this disease going on, you're very susceptible to getting secondary bacterial infections mm -hmm. and other complications. So you're just kind of throwing the whole kitchen sink at these elephants. 
and oftentimes they're not moving around very much. You might have to sedate them in order to get these medications in because it's a very intensive treatment. It's, it's kind of like taking your child to the emergency room and then being in ICU. You know, they don't know what's going on. They feel uncomfortable. So sometimes we use sedatives to help get them more comfortable and be able to get the medications in, even though it's not the most ideal setup. What If the antivirals are not working, what would actually be stopping the blood vessels from continuing to burst or break? Like, how do you actually stop that bleeding? So you can't stop it. Essentially, you're trying to support the body and give it enough time for the immune system to kick in. Because the biggest defense that these animals are going to have is their own body you know, attacking and uh, kind of sequestering that virus and keeping it in check. Wow, and, and it just the, heals slowly? And it just has to heal slowly, wow. yeah. Okay. So the, the goal is to try to stop it before it gets too bad, and you, you're right on that kind of seesaw precipice of if you can catch this before, you know, that last straw, then maybe you can slowly rebuild your body. If you can't, sometimes you're just working against the eight ball and you're not going to be able to catch up with the damage that's been done, but you're going to keep trying until, until you find that, you know, there are situations in which, um, you know, uh, facilities will realize we're, we're beyond our means and, and the kindest thing to do is to let this animal go. And mm -hmm. that's, I can't imagine how, how difficult that is for a facility, but um, especially when you're, you're dealing with a baby elephant that's been, like you said, been so charismatic. Um, but the, that's why one of the mainstays, as you guys were talking about, is trying to catch this virus sooner and catch it earlier. And that's one of the big things that our zoo is working on. So with the uh, development of this new elephant um, exhibit, and we know that we're bringing in elephants that are within that age range for potentially having this, developing this disease virus, um, we are looking to build a lab that's going to test for EEHV earlier and earlier on in the disease. So one of the nice things is that if the elephant catches the herpes virus, um, often it will kind of multiply in their body and you can actually see it in their bloodstream. So if you take a blood sample and you test that blood sample for the virus, you can actually catch it before they're showing clinical signs. And sometimes you can find that virus in their blood up to two weeks before they show those clinical signs. Oh, wow. And two weeks is a lifetime in terms of treatment. Mm -hmm. If you can, like, like Jenny, you were saying, if you can stop that damage before it happens, since we can't, we don't have a drug that's going to fix that damage. If you can catch that virus before it's caused significant damage, then maybe we can get all these elephants over the disease process, get their immune system to kind of kick into gear, give them that time for their body to make their own antibodies. And we'll just keep the virus at bay. We'll keep it low enough with our antiviral numbers that their body is going to do the rest of the work. And the nice thing about herpes is once you get the disease the first time, um, once your body creates those antibodies, you're good to go for the rest of your life for that particular type. So if you get EEHV1A and you survive it and now your body recognizes that particular type of the EEHV virus, if another elephant sneezes in your face and they have that virus and they sneeze it on you and you get that in there, your body already recognizes it, you're not gonna get hemorrhagic disease again. So that's the thing that's really fantastic about it. Um, so one of our goals is with this EEHV lab is to be able to test for that virus in the blood super, super early in the disease process. Now, if you think about it, it shows up two weeks before they show clinical signs 
well, we don't know when that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So that means that we're essentially randomly testing baby elephants throughout their the beginning of their lifetime, hoping to catch that virus before it gets bad. Um, and a lot of places are testing weekly to try to catch that virus because you don't want to have that two-week gap in which you accidentally miss it. Um, so that means that there's a lot of training going on with our uh, elephant care staff to be able to have those animals voluntarily participate in those blood draws. And that's one of the things that's amazing about animal care and zoos is that they've created these trust relationships. And, and through operant conditioning and voluntary training, elephants will come up and let you poke them with a needle and you get a tiny little blood sample, you run it, you see if there's any virus in their blood. If there's no virus in the blood, we're good to go. We, we move on to the next week. And if we start to see virus in that blood, probably the first thing we'll do is take another blood sample and make sure that it's true, <laughs> as long as the animal's not showing clinical signs. And then if we confirm that there's virus in the blood, we can start giving them oral medications. And then it's just like taking a few pills for, for an elephant. It's like, you know, 38 pills. <laughs> but, um, but we would be able to catch it and not have to do all those intensive treatments. We wouldn't necessarily have to do those plasma transfusions and, and those, uh, you know, antibiotics and everything else. But we'd be able to kind of treat in a more controlled environment before they get all of those disease processes. So that's a really important factor of this new elephant barn is we'll be adding the EEHV lab so that we can mm -hmm. do all this blood work and get results really quickly. Yeah. Um, you had mentioned earlier we were talking that there are two other places, is that mm -hmm. correct, Washington, D.C. and in Houston? Mm -hmm. And other zoos are sending, they're taking blood weekly and sending it there and waiting for results. Yeah. But so, we won't have to do that. Yeah. So that's the nice thing is um, especially the National Zoo in D.C. is kind of the primary EEHV testing facility. And the majority of zoos that are doing these monitoring is sending it to DC and waiting for that turnaround. Now, usually we can get that turnaround within 24 hours, but if you have a clinically sick animal, 24 hours is the lifetime of that animal. Yeah. And so we want to be able to get that information in four to six hours. So when we have the lab up and running, you know, and things are, we've worked out all the kinks, it's not quite there yet. Um, we're hoping to have that turnaround be less than a day. And the truth is that if we have an animal that's clinical, we're not going to wait that four to six hours. We're going to start treatment. And if we find out that, oh, it wasn't the virus, well, there's no harm done in, in giving the majority of these treatments because it's just a little extra intensive, but none of them should have a negative effect on the health of the animal. And honestly, most of them boost them anyway. Um, but we want to be able to have that testing on site so that we can repeat, we can do that quality control, and then we know that we can act on things as quickly as we need to. And I should know this, but we'll have hopefully nine elephants, is that correct? Or well, I count. seven to nine elephants <laughs> once they're <laughs> yeah, all I here? Yeah, I think we'll have eight in total. Okay, eight. So that's a lot of blood work to be doing. Yeah. Like this, mm -hmm. We hired in a new technician to take over and help... Uh, run this lab or not take over. It'll be a huge team effort. But basically, she was brought on knowing that this mm -hmm. is going to be a new thing. There's going to be yep. eight elephants to yeah. take blood once or twice a week from. Or are you not going to do the adults? Do you have to? I know you've explained this, so excuse my ignorance. But like, yeah. just because they're above the age of 13 mm -hmm. and there's our elephants here have 1A and they're immune to that, but mm -hmm. they're. 30 some years old, do we have to worry about them getting type two or like the different things or are they totally good once they're an adult? Yeah. So there's an answer of what we know now and there's an answer of what we don't know now. Yeah. So 
to our knowledge, we have not seen hemorrhagic disease in these elephants that are older. Um, there's a first time for everything. We used to say that elephants above the age of eight are protected. You know, it's just that one to eight years old that we're concerned about. And then we had an elephant die at nine years old. And then we had an elephant die at 13 years old. So I'm not going to say that there's a direct cutoff for that danger zone. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, we might arbitrarily say we're going to test anyone under the age of 16 because that's close enough. And, and who knows, maybe we test an 18-year-old once a month instead of once a week. Okay. Um, but it will mostly be those individuals that are in that kind of 1 to 13, 14-year-old range. Those are going to be the ones that we test pretty intensively. Okay. And then the adults, instead of testing that blood for viremia, what we might do is test their trunk washes for shedding of the virus. Because if we find that our a certain elephant is naive or doesn't have antibodies to a certain strain or a certain type of this virus, then we know, okay, you don't, you don't have any antibodies against type 1B. If you get exposed to it for the first time, you're at a much higher risk. That's what I would be so let's about. test all the adults who might shed 1B. And so instead of testing for um, virus in the blood, we can actually take trunk samples and snot, essentially, and test for virus in the snot. Now, we wouldn't do that as frequently because then what do you, you know, there, there is a point at which you don't have so many resources. Would I love to have a flow meter on the end of every elephant's trunk so that I knew every sneeze, what was coming out of it? Yeah, that would be great. But that's not practical. And... Um, we're just kind of looking for surveillance. And so since we know, like other herpes viruses, that a lot of times these viruses are more prevalent or, or have a higher, uh, higher chance of being there when you are sick or when you're stressed out, we may increase our monitoring around stressful times. And one of those stressful times is transport. You're introduced to a new environment. You're meeting new elephants. So all of these transitions may not happen exactly at the same time. But whenever we have something that is new or novel or potentially stressful in these elephants on kind of a major systemic scale, um, we have the option of increasing our surveillance during that time. So certainly when these elephants come in, when they're meeting new elephants, when they you know, have major exhibit changes or other things that are happening in their lifetime, those will be the highest monitoring times. And when things kind of settle out, if we get a little bit more comfortable, we might back off some of that monitoring to an extent. Um, but, you know, we, we will kind of play that by ear. Um, and it'll also depend on what other resources are available to us in terms of prevention and treatment of this disease. If we find that there are other treatments or other prevention that we can do, that might change our surveillance and, and our treatment, um, treatment schemes as well. No, that makes sense. And it's just like us, right? During the stressful times in your life, your immune system's a little compromised. You often mm -hmm. come down with cold during a move mm -hmm. or something like that. It's the same thing for the elephants. When they're meeting new members of the group, when they're moving spaces, that's kind of those stressful times when we're most worried about them, right? Exactly. Yeah. So that's why it's it's incredible that we are having this lab here because mm -hmm. we'll have a lot of changes for all of the elephants. Yeah. The ones moving here, the ones moving from one part of the zoo to another to mm -hmm. meeting new herd mates and all mm -hmm. of the things. Um, it's going to be a really exciting time, but also yeah. it could be pretty stressful for a lot of them. So Yeah. Stressful for our care staff and our veterinarians, too. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> we are very excited about the new elephants, but there's always that tinge of, okay, we're all ready. And, and we've had a, uh, you know, we're doing a lot to prepare. We're doing a lot of these 
um, changes to our infrastructure. We're creating this EEHV lab. You know, the elephant team is getting prepared. They're making sure their current elephants are well prepared for um, for their blood draws, for their trunk washes. There's, like I mentioned, there's also the potential for uh, giving blood transfusions and plasma transfusions. Now, elephants do have different blood types, they do have different sensitivities, but we can give transfusions between different elephants if they are uh, cross-matched cross -matched appropriately, just like humans. Um, so we are training some of our elephants for potential plasma and blood donations. If we find that they are good matches for the elephants that are coming in, there's a potential, potential that we could match blood between uh, individuals at our own facility. And if not, the, the community of zoo and veterinary support across um, zoos and elephant care facilities in the U.S. and, and abroad uh, is pretty phenomenal. And there is a network of institutions in, that run EEHV tests that do cross-matching on elephants that have standby donors and actually have banked plasma. Um, in which that they can donate. One of the um, pieces for the improvement of our elephant facility and as part of this elephant expansion is we are also hoping to be a, a plasma donation facility. So we have purchased and are currently setting up a, a plasma um, centrifuge in which we would be able to collect blood on site and spin it down for plasma and then store it. And then we could either use that for our own elephants or potentially send it to other facilities so that they could use it on elephants that they have that are sick. And all we need to do is do a quick blood, uh, blood typing cross match and make sure that those animals are compatible. Um, and then we can help elephants at other facilities. Elephants at other facilities would be able to help us. Um, so it's a, a really great partnership to be involved in. Yeah, that'll be amazing. That's awesome. And it's really nice that our zoo is able to kind of like take that preventative measure, right? Mm -hmm. That we're already working with our current elephants so yep. that in who knows, one year, two years, whenever down the road, if there is an issue, we can hopefully address it in a more timely manner. Yeah. Um, have you ever uh, worked with an elephant with EEHV or been a part of a zoo that had to deal with that? I have worked with a facility that unfortunately lost an animal, uh, lost an elephant to EEHV. And it's it's devastating on on many levels because like you mentioned you know these are individuals that have been born the the gestation period so long you're waiting for these elephants for so long and they've they've grown up and and you've become really attached to them and then all of a sudden they get very very sick and you you can lose them very quickly um uh you know it, it's a it's a community effort the the facility that i was involved with actually had um, professionals from several other zoos that have elephants and have dealt with EEHV before come in so that you could provide 24-hour round-the-clock care. And, um, you know, you're, you're giving your heart and soul to these animals and, you know, you're not sleeping as effectively because when you're not there, you're worried about the mm -hmm. elephant and your team is trying to rotate in care of this particular individual, but you're also trying to take care of all the other animals that are still at your zoo. Um, and it's a, it, for, for the terrible that it is, it's really amazing to see the community support that comes around it because you just have people from all of our facilities physically coming in or, you know, sending their messages of support or sending their advice for, you know, the most novel treatment of, I just did this treatment in our elephant and it seemed to help, so why don't you try that mm -hmm. as well? There's a really um, increasing outpouring of information and there is a network specifically about EEHV in which professionals can discuss share treatment protocols um, and kind of keep the, 
the latest and greatest information that they learn without having to wait for publications or wait for textbooks or, or wait for journal articles to come out. So that's been um, pretty phenomenal as well. Um, but I know that several people, even though we haven't had to deal with it, knock on wood, here at Cincinnati, several people on our uh, both veterinary and elephant care teams have worked at facilities that have um, treated both successfully and unsuccessfully uh, to, to get through hemorrhagic disease. Tell us about a vaccine. Is that like on the horizon? Is there a reason there isn't one yet? Is it? Yeah. Is it? Is there hope for? (laughs) There's there's definitely hope for a vaccine for sure. Unfortunately, you know, the real world isn't like the movies where you know at the beginning of the movie you realize there's this terrible disease, and then an hour and a half later they've discovered the (laughs) cure and everyone's gotten it. Um, So the the development of a vaccine uh, is is many many steps and. There are a lot of things that come before it. First, you have to be able to isolate the virus. You have to be able to study it in very specific ways so that you can kind of artificially create um, some kind of antibody or neutralizing uh, ability. Vaccines work in a, several different ways. You either have the kind of vaccines in which you take up a, a virus or whatever that pathogen is and you chop it up into little pieces so that it's not dangerous anymore. You introduce it into the body and the body recognizes it so that the next time you get a live virus, it'll be able to attack it quicker. You have other viruses or you have other vaccines in which you take a virus that's alive and you genetically alter it so that it's kind of inert. It can't create the disease. And then you give that as your vaccine. Um, and then that hopefully that virus will create an immune response, but doesn't cause the disease so that when you next see the virus that does cause disease, your body can attack it. Um, you have the new mRNA ones, which are just tiny little pieces of DNA, and they recognize, they help your body recognize the disease before kind of like the new COVID vaccines. Um, but all of those take time and they take research. And the other challenge is that oftentimes they are tested in animals or in cell culture. Um, and then, but the real challenge is testing it in a real animal. And how many, there aren't that many elephants in human care. And, you know, everyone wants to be careful with vaccines. They, the vast majority of vaccines are very safe and uh, very well tested. However, there is that first step. Mm-hmm. And there just aren't that many elephants for us to test the vaccine. And if it doesn't work, the main way that you're going to know that it doesn't work is the animal's going to get the true virus and either get sick or not get sick. Mm-hmm. And so how do you test that vi- that vaccine without challenging an elephant with the actual disease? Mm-hmm. Um, either a young elephant that is in the vulnerable state or an adult elephant who you wouldn't know because it wouldn't develop the disease anyway. So a lot of it is... Um, kind of we're still very early in those research stages. And then when we are testing these vaccines, how do you truly confirm that it's working. And so there are a couple places, both in the U.S. and abroad, that are studying vaccines. Um, Unfortunately, it's just a very slow process. So I do think that in a matter of maybe years, we would be able to have a vaccine that would improve our outcomes. Um, But we're just not there yet. So, but it is in the works for sure. Yeah, it does sound scary. Who would want to volunteer yeah. for those first yeah. few tries? Yeah. yeah, It's like in any kind of scientific experiment when you yeah. learn about it, right? It's like you need the control group and mm-hmm. then you need the test group. And it's yeah. like when you're working with live animals... It's that are not, already endangered. Yeah, they're yeah. already endangered. You can't really yeah. risk anything to a control mm-hmm. and a test. And, and we don't have an approximation of that species. Yeah. You know, if it works in a mouse 
does that mean it's going to work in an elephant? Like Exactly. <laughs> so. Well, you mentioned both Asian and African elephants can get it. Yeah. They can get it in the wild or in zoos. Mm-hmm. And it's something that isn't necessarily new, but we're just learning more about how to identify mm-hmm. it when there yeah. is an animal that's passing. So. Yeah, and there was there was information, you know, twenty years or or so ago when we were still learning about this virus that we were finding that we were finding the virus in African elephants and we were finding it in Asian elephants and Asian elephants were dying at a much higher rate than African elephants and before we realized that they had two different types of the virus we thought it was all one and the same and there was a concern that African elephants were giving it to Asian elephants so there was a small push for a little while to not house African and Asian elephants together to not let them expose each other. And one of the good things is that we found that that information is not accurate anymore. There is not a threat of these African elephants giving it to the Asian elephants because they have a different strain. And those elephants are not as susceptible to the strains that are natural in African elephants as the ones that are natural in Asian elephants. Um, But we still are learning a lot more about this virus. You know, we have found that just because you've had type one and you've created immunity to type one, you could still get type four and die from type four. And we've, we've seen that happen in some zoos in which they get one type of the virus and the facility's all excited because you survived it. And then just a few months or a few years later, that same elephant has gotten a different type of the same herpes mm-hmm. virus. And then unfortunately they've, they've lost their battle in that way. And so I think a lot of this testing, a lot of this, um, uh, kind of prophylactic uh, information that we're gathering in, in the um, diagnostics and surveillance that we're able to do early on is really making the difference. And we are finding that the survival rates are increasing. Um, I don't have the statistics because we haven't physically done the statistics on that yet, but in talking to other facilities, it seems like when we're able to catch that early on, we're having much better survival rates. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the things that's super exciting it's a lot of work on the on the outset to do this testing, to do this surveillance, but if it means a happy, healthy elephant at the end, then it'll be worth it. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And hopefully that's something that obviously at our facility with the new lab, mm-hmm. we're able to test and we're able yeah. to diagnose before we have any issues. Yeah. yeah. And there's always the chance, you know, the everything that we've learned about this virus is something that... Um, we have learned from other cases. So we didn't know X, Y, or Z until it happened. And that's one of the things that's a little bit scary. You know, right now we think that if we can test two weeks early and and catch it early, that we're gonna have better success. There is always the chance that we find that virus early and despite our best efforts, these Mm -hmm. animals still succumb because we still don't know all of the ins and outs Mm -hmm. of this virus. Um, But if we can, you know, change that death rate from 70% to 50%, well, that's still something. We're yeah. we're probably still going to lose elephants. Whenever you start to see this virus in a susceptible, uh, you know, a young elephant that, that can get the disease, even with your best efforts, even with all the planning in the world, you can still lose them. But um, we'll we'll do our best to, to do everything up until that point. Yeah, and like you said, luckily... There's kind of that network being established among yeah. zoos across the country, even mm-hmm. zoos across the world, right? It's not just in the U.S. Yeah. where research mm-hmm. it's across the world. Yeah, yeah. So. there's definitely international collaboration on this for sure. You know, the European zoos, we're, we're talking to the Asian range countries, the, you know, 
There are several places in Asia that have elephants in human care. And even those researchers who are studying these elephants out in the wild, we're all sharing information across all of us to learn more about this, this virus and this disease in, in total. Well, is there anything else we haven't talked about that we think we, or that you would like to like share with our listeners? Again, this is an interesting topic. It's Mm -hmm. not necessarily fun, but with our new elephants coming, it would be something that could be expected. Uh, We hope, hope not. We really, really hope that we get um, very lucky. None of our Mm -hmm. elephants get sick, of course, but at least everyone knows we are on Mm -hmm. top of this. Again, we are uh, one of very few zoos that will have our very own EEHV Mm -hmm. lab and Mm -hmm. everyone is um, aware of things and hopefully can do our best. You know, there are lots of diseases out there in which, you know, science has not created the perfect treatment and the, we can't fix everyone. But, um, you know, as a veterinarian, I understand that I can't fix everything, but if I feel like I've done everything that is possible and that is known to science to be able to try, then I feel like we've given, you know, our collection and our animals the best shot that's out there. And, and that's where, that's where I feel, feel good about things. Yeah. As long as you can put your best foot forward and Mm -hmm. put your best effort out there, you can feel good about, well, not feel good about the results if they don't turn out how you want, but you can at least sleep at Except, night, right? Yeah, yeah you exactly. You sleep at night. Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah. You feel like you, you did the best that could be done. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, there, there are plenty of diseases out there that, you know, mm-hmm. not everyone can, can fix, but uh, we'll do our best. And we're excited to have these new elephants coming in. Yes, yeah, definitely. Definitely. We're excited to have the new lab, the new facility, yeah. the new barn. Lots of changes. Know, lots of changes. Mm-hmm. Lots of excitement coming up. Yeah. Well, thank you. If there wasn't anything else you think we missed, then... Yeah, I think that's the majority of uh, what I wanted to share about EEHV. Great. Thank you so much. <laughs> you know so much, and it's still... it's oh, There's still there's, so much to know. know you can fill so books with the things that I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we've already asked you this once, but mm-hmm. we'll finish off the show with yeah. our typical, what can I do? Do you have an idea for us today? Yeah, so I was, I was thinking about this on as I was preparing for this podcast, and one of the things that I've done this week is um, going to my local uh, farmer's market. So the in just the town over, there's a farmer's market in which, you know, you can get nice fresh produce, and it's just really nice to be able to get some, you know, farm fresh uh vegetables and and different kind of products and know that they came from nearby. You're kind of cutting down on that transportation footprint Um, and, you know, supporting some small local farms. You know, there there are definitely great things about large mass production as well. There's a lot of good efficiency. But for somebody who, you know, you might be looking for a certain growing style, a certain kind of produce, um, or just knowing that you're supporting your local community and, and staying local is nice. That's an easy, fun one. I love yeah. going to yeah. the farmer's market. Yeah. I know. That's a great one. I do love a good farmer's market. Mm-hmm. I swear, too, maybe it's just me. It's in my head. But I swear the produce you get at farmer's market always oh, tastes oh, better, It right? does it's taste better, for fresh. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, those tomatoes. I was just oh. going to say, it's always tomatoes. Like, it's always the tomatoes. If there's something that I can tell a difference in mm-hmm. from the grocery or a farmer's market or, like, yeah. freshly picked, it's yeah. tomatoes. Sometimes the corn, too. Oh, some really good yeah. corn. Oh, good mm. corn on the cob, yeah. Yep. That's what that's what I that's what I lean towards. I love it. I'm sure this time of year there's plenty of mm-hmm. farmers markets in your local area. You might just have to Google it, but yeah. it seems like in at least in the kind of greater Cincinnati area, we've mm-hmm. got farmers markets all over the city For almost sure. every single weekend that you yeah. can find. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. For sure. 
Well, great. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you again. You, yeah. you teach us so much every time. Yeah. So. Thanks for having me on. It's I, I love being able to, to share some of this information. Absolutely. Thanks for educating us. Yeah. Thanks for educating the listeners. Thank you for mm-hmm. your time and all the work and effort you're putting into yeah. awesome. hopefully helping our elephants here at the zoo. And yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. Have a good day, everyone. <laughs>